Ago, I am Jason, and with me as usual is Rich. Hello, Rich. Hey, how's it going? Doing well. Um, we're we're back with another episode of our uh, Twenty Years Ago series. As uh, we talked about, the uh, Twitter account's been uh, on fire, uh, presenting what uh, many highlights. <laughs> of lit, as the kids would say, twenty years uh, in the future. Uh, yes, it is exactly. Lit, is, is it is lit. Yeah, uh, these things called emojis. Sometimes they use these right. things. They're kind of weird. Instead of text, we have become primitive people. Uh, twenty years in the future. Now we only talk in uh, in in like uh, signs. We paint signs on walls and and deliver you know cartoon messages to people and then that's the way we communicate it's it's very fascinating how we've uh, evolved yeah. in the last 20 years but yeah. uh, other than trump being president what do you think the most mind-blowing thing would be for like somebody like 20 years in the future? i mean it'd probably <laughs> oh, be, man, be like yeah. something like so so non-trump president thing yeah that's right oh man um i probably would, just like I, you know what i would no, go, go ahead. ahead. What, what would you think? Because I have a pretty decent idea of it, but yeah, I'm curious what I, your thought is. I, I mean, we have to do something about like the speed and just incredible like resourcefulness of like the internet. I think that would. Have yeah, to be. well, and and mine was kind of that too. I mean, it all kind of stems with the internet because that's our entire lives. But I think like streaming services, Netflix, Hulu, you know, the, these sort of things. I think that's what would really be the mind blowing thing because you know, 1997, you're still very much in the physical media realm. Like the idea that you could just go on your TV. There's like this built in thing on your TV. TV that lets you just you know what I mean like I, I just think I don't think I could fathom that because I was somebody in, in during those days that was big on collecting DVDs I have I, my, my poor parents there's like an entire dresser in my parents house that's filled with like wrestling VHS's that I was like oh this is what I'm gonna retire on like these <laughs> I have I have every pay-per-view for like four years this is yeah. wonderful this is great and my mom's like do you want me to get rid of this stuff and I'm like ah you know it's all in the network it's you know WWE has obviously the WWE network yeah. which all of my life's work is just in in one minute was immediately negated by hey by the way we just put everything we've ever created up on this you know streaming service for you at every time but i don't want to get rid of it because i'm like ah if this ever goes away mom i'm these vhs's and i'm like i'm never gonna watch them again like i don't know why i just can't part with them but i think like physical media i think the the lack of reliance that we have on physical media especially you know at 97 you're still talking cds you know you're talking because you know cd singles you know uh, you know vhs's barely you know really early into the dvd era and stuff you know I, like I, I just think i couldn't fathom that like i don't need any of this stuff because it's all just you know at my disposal in a few clicks. It, it, I, I don't think my mind could wrap around that. And Donald Trump's president. So that's pretty terrible. Right. right. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> and he thanks. hasn't gotten any better. In fact, he's worse. You know. You know. You know your vision of Donald Trump in 1997. Well, he's more crass and more annoying now. Right. And yeah. His president. I, I'm sure I had a more States, favorable yeah. opinion about him in 97 than I. Than <laughs> that's what I mean. Like it right, was somewhat yeah. charming. You're like, oh, whatever. Like he's just a rich yeah, moron. Right. Or he's just a, you know, a rich yeah. a hole. That's cool. Whatever. They all. Whatever. Are. But no, he's the president and is yeah. more of an a hole. But that. You know. uh, it's pretty cool. So <laughs> you know, back uh, to 1997, I, I think I'd rather do that. It, it wouldn't be too bad. There, there were a lot of better things about 97. Although I, I would obviously miss the, uh, you know, I would miss streaming. That would be something I would uh, miss. Although, you know, physical media, like you're interacting with it kind of the same way. You just obviously have like much easier ways of getting it or whatever. But um, yeah, I, I think the social media like is like more like of a life changing type um, type thing. But um, but yeah, I, I remember probably I would and many of us probably better off if social media did not exist um but uh <laughs> i mean i wouldn't have a job but that's all right well <laughs> I'd yeah find something else to do. I'd find something yeah to do. It's, it's a good point <laughs> 
at the uh, heading in November 1997, there were uh, some tensions between uh, Dennis Rodman and the Bulls. We're going to be talking, of course, a lot about the uh, Bulls uh, in this series as they are uh, marching toward their uh, final championship. And uh, not things are not quite so rosy uh, going on uh, in, in late October. Yeah, no, things are not going well uh, at all. And it was really never a quiet moment in Chicago, like you said, and we'll talk about them a lot throughout this process here. But uh, Robert and the Bulls, uh, particularly uh, Bulls general manager Jerry Krause, uh, we're at a crossroads here. This is uh, late October 1997. The salary was not really the problem. It was between Dwight Manley, who was uh, uh, Dennis Rodman's agent, and Krause. Uh, they, report, they, they agreed to a base salary of $2.5 million. That was fine. And, and for what it's worth here, Dennis Rodman, he's obviously, he, he does not have a contract going into the season. They obviously would like to have Dennis Rodman because they're going for the three-peat. Well, Rodman wants a little bit of a change in his contract or whatever so here's where we're at with this part um so the the 2.5 million not a problem both both parties agree that's cool that's fine with us the problem though for for rodman and manley and then you know the difference over kraus is that there was uh incentive money involved in this contract that they wanted to get if rodman were to meet certain initiatives whether it be games played rebounds per game uh those sort of things and several obviously behavioral stipulations because it's dennis rodman and you know you have to kind of put those in any contract uh the, the deal would have been worth six million dollars and that that's fine wh- whatever but rodman he wanted uh the incentive to push the value closer to 10 million dollars so Robin obviously wanted a little bit more in terms of the incentives, you know, Kraus a little bit less, but what was really a sticking point too for Manley and Dennis Robin at the time too, is uh, there were other proposed initiatives that were put into this contract and they were tied to how many games the Bulls won uh, in this case and how far they advanced in the playoffs. And to be fair, you know, Manley and Rodman were kind of like, well, I, I don't know that that's necessarily... That shouldn't be, you know, Dennis Rodman. If Dennis Rodman gets X amount of rebounds per game, that's fine. If he gets X amount of points per game, that's fine. If Dennis Rodman doesn't get arrested or whatever, that's fine. Give him extra money. But he kind of objected to the idea that, like, well, if the Bulls only win 44 games, I get X money. Or, you know, if the Bulls win 50, I get this or whatever. And they're, you know, obviously at this time, because Scottie Pippen's, his back is really ravaged. It looks like he's not going to play uh, for the first few months of the season. Obviously, Michael Jordan continues to to age. And he's talked about this being the kind of the final, you know, stretch or whatever. So Dennis Rodman and Manley are looking at the contract going, hey, look, if we don't get 60 wins, we're getting, you know, $2 million less or whatever. I don't know the particulars of the contract, and and we didn't know that now. But I kind of get what they were talking about at that point as well. But, uh, yeah, it it, it kept going on here. And then uh, late, uh, again, late October 1997, Dennis Rodman had given uh, the Bulls an ultimatum. This was from the New York Times. And he said, no, accept a contract by noon tomorrow. No worm in 1997-1998. Noon Thursday, just do it. Get it out of the way, Rodman said. Uh, There's always a chance I won't be here. If it doesn't happen, we will go on with our lives. I go home. They stay here. Life seems to work itself out. So uh, we're up against the deadline here with Dennis Rodman, of course. Uh, They did figure out how to sign Rodman. They got it all set. But, uh, yeah, it looked a little, little shaky here. Uh, in late October uh, for, for the Bulls, for Dennis Rodman. And again, like I mentioned, Pippen, now he's got a ravage back. He doesn't look like he's going to be ready to go for an, another few months. Uh, Jordan and Jackson have both actively said that this is it for them. You know, they're going to play out this year, and then it's over. Rodman's, you know, teetering whether he's going to come back or come not. It, it's just amazing everything that was coming into the season and all the, you know, annoyance that was kind of going to come together, you know, once all this stuff was back together. But we'll talk a little bit more about Pippen uh, in future shows and, and maybe even a little bit later in the show. But uh, he looks like he might might uh for many, yeah, a multitude of reasons uh, not ever play this season so right yeah and it was interesting because pippin's surgery was like late october so or i'm sorry early october but still that was quite late in the season uh for the that surgery to happen generally the stuff's kind of taken care of earlier on i'm not sure if that was a uh you know the, the kind of like the shack you know company time type thing or if it was just you know they were trying to avoid it and then they decided you know at that point that they couldn't avoid it but anyway um i know there were some frustrations over pippin for letting that linger so perhaps that was the, the first was the case but um either way there'll be more of that situation as we uh as we go through these shows um another thing ha- 
happening right before November 97. Uh, Charles Barklin uh, was involved in a um, uh, was involved in a tossing a bar patron through a glass window at a <laughs> um, <laughs> a, he uh, was in a bar and um, uh, the place is still around in uh, Pensacola, Florida. It's uh, located in the west end of Seville Quarter. If anybody wants to, it's called uh, Phineas Fogg's Balloon Works, which is uh, certainly uh, you know you definitely want to go to Phineas Fogg's. It's a two-story dance club. Pensacola is home for the young at heart. So no better place in the Gulf Coast to enjoy the hottest high-energy dance music. So yes, that is not what we copied directly from their website at all. No, no, <laughs> not at all. That. We, yeah. we 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 realized this was a part of the story. So we Jason and I got on a plane, went to Pensacola, yeah. and we're like. All right, let's find out if this is indeed Fox, the yeah. hottest high energy dance music and the place for the young at heart. And it absolutely was. Indeed. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely was. So, <laughs> yes, a, uh, a a woman with Barclays group said that she, that he had tried to avoid confrontation um, and then uh, said, that, <laughs> I doubt uh, that greatly. I just I yeah. don't know. I mean, I just I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know. Said that uh, that Barclay had ignored the man who was uh, who was harassing them uh, eventually. um he shouted curses through a cup of ice, and then um, eventually uh, he, he threw a glass and knocked the woman in the chair, not in the jaw, knocked her off her chair, and then Berkeley got angry, and then uh, and then. There were uh, confrontations. Police, of course, got involved, and they were separated. Uh, Barkley uh, said, uh, for all I care, you can lay there and die. So um, he would uh, – I, I actually didn't, didn't really get uh, – he was not suspended. I, I, I can't – I'm trying to remember if he was actually fined for um, – Yeah, I, it was It was nearly impossible for me to find. I, I just found, like, everybody was like, ha, 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 he said you could lay there and die, and then that was it. And I don't. so I don't know if they just settled out of court. I don't know if – whatever happened but yeah he, he he got arrested and i think he was out on bail pretty quickly it wasn't a very high uh, yeah. uh, bail count and then i have no idea i could not find anything about what happened after that so i i don't know and obviously i don't think he missed any time for i don't think he got suspended right i think everybody just kind of no. was like all right whatever <laughs> like you know and i guess you know from a lot of the reports that barkley was there just kind of signing autographs being nice to people doing that sort of stuff and this guy was just antagonistic and he kind of you know bumped into some of his friends and and, and stuff and just continued to kind of come at barkley who was not really in the mood to, to, to deal with this guy and, and then he dealt with him by throwing him through a glass window, which you know is is, is yeah. what you do sometimes. On, there you go, uh, at, at old Phineas Fugs. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I could not find exactly what happened to him or, or, or what you know the the um, what the finality of the, the case was. So I, I have yeah. no idea. I, I I'm not sure. Barkley did meet with the league, and they ended up agreeing that he would have uh, bodyguards accompany him anytime he ventures out in uh, a public. So. Um, the Rockets were, I, I guess, going to end up being the uh, fitting, fitting the bull, fitting the, the excuse me, uh, footing the bill for the security. And um, uh, yeah, so it, the NBA was not happy about it, but did not actually punish him outside of the um, outside of the insisting that he have security around him uh, right. at all at all times. So that was or at least when he was going out. So and he let to go out as we uh, have read many many times. So. <laughs> Uh, so the uh, as we actually get into the season, which began November first, uh, I think one of the first important games was the first Tim Duncan versus Michael Jordan meeting, a uh, a Spurs Bulls game that uh, went to uh, double overtime, but had the uh, had the wonderful late '90s score of uh, eighty seven to eighty three with the Bulls uh, win over the uh, Spurs. 
Uh, Jordan was 12 for 39 shooting in the game. Uh, Kobe-esque. Uh, he did hit a, a three to time regulation and a hit a, a couple of key free throws and a shot that basically sealed the game at the end. So uh, there was at least one instance of Duncan uh, blocking Jordan's shot. And there's also a, a moment of uh, Dennis Rodman and, and uh, David Robinson get a little bit physical force. They were experts, teammates. Well, actually it was more of a cheap shot by Rodman shoving Robinson to the uh, floor. So, uh, Good times there. Both uh, Rodman and uh, Duncan had 22 rebounds. Um, Duncan also had 19 points, um, whereas uh, Rodman only had three points. So on one of 10 shooting, so uh, and one of four from the free throw line. So he was not quite in uh, in, in uh, all the way, in season shape yet. And he was a physical wreck for most of that year, as we'll I'm sure get into more. But uh, so some interesting history there. Yeah, and Robin didn't start this game as well. And I know for first few games of the season, they took him off the bench. But, of course, when it went to double overtime, he ended up playing 46 minutes anyway. So he was like, you know, the, the second highest minutes load on the Bulls when it was all said and done. But, yeah, actually did not get the start. Jason Caffey got the start and played uh, 12 minutes. So, yeah, um, I don't know. Maybe it was punishment. I, God only knows with Dennis Rodman in 97, 98 or Dennis Rodman any Anytime, year prior much, or yeah. later or whatever. Right. So, yeah, you, you never know what was going on there. But, yeah, pretty interesting game. And we're, we're, we're seeing a little bit of Tim Duncan at this point uh, really come out of the stage. And I, and I think, to be fair, and what we'll talk a little bit more about this later I, I remember even at the time that there was I don't think there was really any doubt that this guy was going to step in and be pretty good in the NBA I don't know if maybe he exceeded expectations right off the bat because he was just like ready to go the minute it started and we'll, we'll talk about a lot of the games you know yeah there were a few games where he maybe got under 10 points or whatever but it was always reliable always a good rebounder and, and a very efficient shooter almost from the beginning so it was pretty cool that like you have a rookie and you just insert him there and he's just ready to go from day one almost and and and, and had a lot of really good performances in this first month yeah, I mean he was yeah he was a really important right away. That the, the uh, Spurs are we're gonna get into them a little bit more later, but yeah they were pretty good right off the bat. There was a few like Robinson of course was overcoming some serious back injuries, so there was some issues with that, and they didn't necessarily have the most depth in the world. But you know you have uh, you have that front line that's a pretty good foundation to build on, and they'd obviously be you know successful in that season and in seasons to come. So um, Shaquille O'Neal made some early news. Uh, he he missed the season opener because of a strained abdominal muscle, and then as he returned, as he was cleared to return to action, he was suspended and fined for slapping Greg Ostertag of the Jazz uh, before the game. Uh, they got involved in a situation where uh, where Shaq knocked Ostertag to the floor with an open hand slap between afternoon practice sessions at the Forum. So. Um, I, I guess there were there had been some tension um, between them before, which what happened when the Jazz eliminated the Lakers in the uh, previous year's uh, conference semifinals. Um, Ostertag had a uh, had a quote about uh, saying that he hadn't gotten respect from anybody, especially from Shaq, and then he said, "But I guess it's why he's playing golf right now, and I'm in the Western Conference Finals." Wow, so, uh, Greg Ostertag with the yeah. shade. I never knew that Greg Ostertag was such a. Uh... A big shade artist like that, but yeah, it's yeah, uh, talking to Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, uh, right? All right, I mean, yeah, that's fine. And and Shaq carried it over for a year. Uh, it's it's that's impressive as well. But yeah, I never knew Greg Ostag to be the uh, the, the big yeah. shit talker here. But uh, yeah, and I don't know if I'd shit talk like Shaq. I, you know, it's like yeah, you know, well, I don't know. I don't, and Ostag, yeah. like to be honest, like yeah, you you, you know, you, you played your role, but I, I you know, I don't know if you're quite the difference that like that I'm playing. You know, I'm in the West and you suck. You know, Shaq. Yeah. I, I don't know. Well, that's, I, that's Ostag. Probably, I don't but. if you're. Greg Ostertag, I don't know what you have to lose, I guess. I mean, maybe That's you true, yeah. You got to shoot your shot there a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Play you the know, Scott Pollard uh, role. You know, you play the... Uh, there was many guys throughout history that have been, like, that guy, like, the shit talker that really doesn't do anything, but... Right. 
in his cancer today. <laughs> sure, yes, for, he is. For yeah. a modern fan, Enos Cantor is a great Yeah, uh, he, he was a, you know, Enos Cantor didn't score, but probably but played solid defense. I right, so the exact Cantor. opposite of Enos Cantor, except for well, he's a lot of yeah. center. But that's fine. <laughs> right, we'll yeah. go with it. So. We'll just go with that, yeah. So, Oh, this is a good segue. I gave you an incredible segue right here. I hope you take it. I, I will. Um, okay. So um, the uh, the second woman of uh, in NBA history after uh, Violet Palmer debuted on opening night was Dee Kantner. Uh, she, <laughs> she she debuted on uh, November 6th, uh, and uh, she officiated her first NBA game. Um, we'll, we'll get into more about kind of the reaction about you know women officials probably on the next show, but uh, there was some early reaction. Um the, the I, I think the the most interesting one was from uh, Cadillac Anderson, who was quoted in the uh, Atlanta Constitution. The old girl did a good job, so that was uh, <laughs> uh that, that was uh nice. And and, and Kander, like Val Palmer lasted for I mean she just recently retired. I think she had an absence and came back, but D, Dean Kantner was actually uh, fired I think in two thousand and one. So uh, eventually we'll get to that uh, if we continue this for that long, but. Uh, but, but yeah, so 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 female referees. Uh, I, I don't really remember having strong opinions about it at the uh, time. You know, I I don't think I was uh, like I certainly wasn't like against it or anything like that. But I, I hopefully I wasn't like one of those reactionaries who was like, yeah, women don't belong in the NBA <laughs> yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But I you know it, it made so I, yeah I heard about it I guess, but it, it didn't really have a uh, significant impact on me. I, I would have to say. Yeah, and I was I was too young to probably care all that much, and and I'm sure you right. know, I I don't think I would have cared at the time, and I know I, I I if you know I was this age now when it happened, I wouldn't care either. So no, yeah. pretty cool, a uh, good moment. And yeah. I looked it up. Val Palmer, she went until 2016. She had knee uh, issues, so until right. September 22nd, uh, she she retired. So and I think she's doing stuff with the operations department in the back end of the NBA. So she's still working in the NBA, just not obviously on an on court capacity. So good for her. Right. She, uh, yeah. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah. One of the, so, one of the yeah. pioneers that's still kind of hanging strong. So right. Yeah. And uh, Corey Gibson sent us some. Uh, Want to give him a shout out he sent us some uh good stuff from the uh, sports business journal some notes about the nba during this time so uh shout out to Corey. thanks for uh, helping us out we uh, we really appreciate it yeah he's a great archivist he's got just tons of really great stuff too so it's really, really helpful yes absolutely so um so next we've got the uh we have the mugsy bogues trade on uh, november 7th 1997 uh was uh, was traded out of charlotte he was one of the two original hornets along with adele curry and uh David Falk was a steaming mad about this. Uh, Bogues was traded. Both Bogues and uh, Tony Delk were traded to the Golden State Warriors for uh, B.J. Armstrong, and uh, and Falk had some choice words for um, for how the Hornets treated uh, Muggsy. Yeah. So um, as you mentioned, there, there, there was a lot of, uh, of issues here, and it really stemmed back. From the the year prior, a little bit. So Muggsy Bogues had obviously had some injury issues, uh, and the Hornets had, had done some stuff here. We'll we'll get we'll get to that in a little bit. Here's some of the quotes, just to kind of get an idea of what's going on here. So David Falk, obviously very famous NBA agent, he was Muggsy's agent at the time. He says, "I'm very very disappointed in how Muggsy was mistreated. I'm very happy Golden State has given him him a chance." Uh, this league is very small, and I'm sure we'll be dealing with each other again. I'll just have to remember this and learn from this. So uh, Hornets Vice President Bob Bass, uh, he says, what does he mean by that? I really don't have anything to say about what he said. Uh, so a little bit of the background, as I mentioned, the, the Boke situation really started in June. Uh, head coach of uh, the Hornets, Dave Cowens, very interesting enough, uh, he said in a media gathering that Bogues should just retire because of his chronic knee injury. <laughs> uh, Bogues reacted very angrily to that, saying that he would continue playing. Uh, Bogues told the Charlotte Observer, if they don't want me, trade me because I'll be playing basketball somewhere. Uh, so Bogues, David Falk, uh, 
Hornets owner George Shin, who, again, if we, we go on to the show for more years, we'll be talking about him uh, quite a few other times. Uh, and Bass, they met in August, and Falk thought the situation resolved at the meeting, and so the Bogues was promised a job with the Hornets after his playing uh, career was over. Uh, the meeting did, end, did not end the hostility, though, because then Bogues was barred from the first few practices of the preseason uh, because he refused to take a magnetic resonance imaging exam on his knee. After he finally uh, agreed to the test, Bogues felt that he wasn't used enough in practice or exhibitions to get in shape or complete for, uh, compete for playing time. So, yeah, it had really been just a gigantic issue um, between Bogues and them, but thankfully it was resolved uh, finally with that. But, yeah, it's kind of a, a, a terrible end for a guy that was, you know, the franchise cornerstone. One of the, the faces of that franchise for a while, too. You were hoping that, you know, obviously he would leave on, on a much better note. But, uh, yeah, it was not to be for, for a, a number of reasons. And it was essentially like his play had really fallen off a lot at this point as well. So it's probably the Hornets just looking for, I, I guess, in their mind, a good way to kind of get rid of a star without, you know, making it obvious to the public that they're trading him. But what they ended up doing probably paid off, uh, was, was much, much worse uh, instead of just, you know, finding a more <laughs> a more reasonable way to sort of get rid rid of him uh, it ended up being kind of a, a, a giant kerfuffle between him and, and his agent and, and played out in the media a lot as well so but uh it's resolved finally by bugs going to uh, golden state yeah so yeah that uh, by the way that account was from uh, rick uh, uh, uh rick bottle who's still the uh who still is a uh hornets uh beat writer you know uh, had a great behind the scenes account of it uh, during that time and yeah this is kind of foreshadowing uh, kind of a, a signature time for the Hornets where, you know, they went from being this like fun, cool, like early nineties, like franchise with, you know, they had obviously the Lonzo morning, they had Larry Johnson, they had Muggsy Mokes, who was kind of, you know, a cult figure because he was five, three, you know, his size, they had a lot of popular players. They had a popular look. They were like kind of this it team for a little while. And this is, you know, kind of, um, you know, the leading the path where they go from you know being kind of this model team to a lot of dysfunction losing a lot of the key players of course they'd already lost johnson they'd already lost morning and uh and then eventually of course you know uh alienating charlotte and leaving the city yeah so it really set off the stage i mean they would be i mean you look at this year it would be what another one you know another five years until they were just completely out of the city and stuff so it's it's uh uh just kind of remarkable how this turnaround went because yeah it was such a big deal and they were as you said that charter for, i mean you you mentioned a hornet starter jacket even people that weren't nba fans can vision envision that logo and envision the, the jacket and envision the colors or whatever but yeah it was it was very quickly after this it, it, the, the real the train had started and it, it would just completely derail uh, in a few years so Yes. Um, very briefly, um, their former, uh, of course, NBA star Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, sued the uh, the Dolphins running back Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but spelled K-A-R-I-M uh, from using that name, uh, said that there were too many similarities between the uh, two UCLA products. So I, I, I kind of uh, forgotten all about there was a football player named Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So uh, he was formerly known as Charmin Chan. Uh, so he, uh, he he did try to file suit. Uh, we'll have to see how that was end up being resolved. I don't think the other Kareem Abdul-Jabbar changed his name, but I honestly, uh, his existence had been completely erased from my memory until I, I saw that again. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't remember what ever came of that. I, I remember him though because I had a lot of, uh, I collected a lot of cards at this time, and I had a ton of football cards. Uh, and I remember having a bunch of these, and I just like it blew because as a kid, I like, I, I knew that obviously there was another Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and then I thought that they were like related or brother. It's obviously it's pre-internet or like very yeah. primitive internet, so I just went on the assumption that these guys are related, and I kept telling all my friends, oh yeah, like his son or his brother or whatever was plays in the nfl and like and they went to ucla too and i was like well come on that i mean how, sure. they, they both go to ucla so kareem the, the original kareem is is in, in some respects correct i confuse yeah. them i assume oh. that they were related in some way i mean two right. kareem abdul jabars they're both from uc 
UCLA? Like, come on here. Let's, you know, it, it's obvious. These can't are... allow for brand confusion. It's just, it, you know, <laughs> exactly. what, what are we so. going to do? Yeah, it's just it's a mess. I mean, imagine if there was somebody else who changed their name to Rich Creighton and was out there podcasting. I about, know. I'd be like, come on, you know, man. NBA like, history. There's yeah. so many names. Why would you choose that name? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Even if they spelled it differently. Yeah. I mean, they would definitely not do, you know, there was, you know, Rich without a C or something. I don't know. But uh, yeah, right. I'm not sure how you can spell Rich, but I'm sure there's a way. Um, <laughs> anyway. And he wore number so, 33, too. I'm looking at these cards now. I, yeah. I'm not actually physically looking at my card. I'm on the internet right. looking at these cards. But sure. Uh, he wore number 33, too. It's like, come on, bro. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you right. doing? Was he just a big fan? Or I, I, I assume he's a big fan. Yeah, I, would, I guess I'd be disappointed if I was if I was a big fan of Kareem. If I, you know, changed my name to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and then he sued me for it. I would be a little bit sad about that, to be honest. But well, what can you do? A um, couple other uh, quick notes. Uh, the Bulls uh, debuted their alternate road uniforms. These w- took off the, the pinstripes, and uh, they were made to accommodate the players who conveyed of the fabric used in the pinstripe uniforms was uncomfortable, according to the Chicago Sun-Times. So that was the uh, reason for them changing after one year. I had no idea. Good, because the pinstripes suck, and they should go away. So. Yeah, right. You're not a fan of pinstripes. No. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> the Kings ended their... Uh, Sellout streak of 497 consecutive uh, home games, which was the longest, uh, uh, apparently the NBA's longest uh, sellout. I'm not sure if it's the longest one in history. I think the Blazers actually have that, but it's the longest active one at the uh, time, uh, which is kind of amazing considering you know, how bad the Kings had been for most of that time that they managed to sell out games for 12 years after they you know moved to Sacramento. So good on them, I guess. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, they, they then, like, the next season started another one, and that one lasted until, obviously, yeah, the, the Maloofs, and, you know, the real right. deep into the Maloof era or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think this was, like, a brief uh, departure, and then they would be right back starting another record. So, yeah, Sacramento, there was a time when Sacramento was, like, a charter, you know, devoted uh, NBA franchise, too. I remember the Warriors were the, kind of that way, too, even throughout the yeah. 90s and, right. and 2000s. Yeah. Even yeah. when they were the bad, yeah, they would still bad, fill that they place. They had a lot of fans, though. Yeah, yeah they would exactly. still always fill so. that place and always be a fun atmosphere, even if they were, were terrible and wore horrible uniforms. But, uh, right. yeah, the Kings is more fast fascinating though because at least like the Warriors had like fun teams but like the Kings in the 90s you know I mean I guess Mitch Richmond's really fun I guess but right you know it's gonna get better for the Kings soon enough though it is Uh, I I mean the 97 Kings not necessarily the I mean hopefully 2017 Kings it'll get better for them but it might take a little bit longer who knows um and there's an SI profile on a trash talkers in their season preview which is the cool one with uh like uh it's NBA confidential and it's like uh um Grant Hill, like in the detective hat, you know, on the uh, cover. That's, that's, that's a great uh, cover. But the uh, the trash talkers, the, the list is number one, Gary Payton. Number two, Michael Jordan. Number three, Charles Barkley. Number four, Reggie Miller. Number five, Tim Hardaway. Number six, Chuck Person. Number seven, John Starks. And number eight, Alonzo Mourning. Well, so, where's, where's Greg Ostertag? <laughs> we obviously know that ah, he's one of yeah. the top ones. It's... He should be there, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, NBC and the NBA reached a TV deal, which kept the uh, NBC as the uh, exclusive network of the league through 2001-2002. They also re-upped their uh, agreement with Turner Sports, keeping them on TNT and uh, TBS. I kind of forgot they used to be on TBS as well as uh, TNT. Um, I, I guess it, it's been so long since I've thought of t- that TBS has had, of course, it all had wrestling. It had a lot of sports as well. I, or I guess it has baseball still, but it uh, I forgot basketball was on both networks for a while. Yeah, it ended up being a big reason why I became a fan of both of those is because it was like very easy. It's like, all right, cool. I right. have to watch TBS and they have everything that I want. Like, yeah. they got wrestling, they got basketball. You know, USA obviously had my other wrestling, and I was like, good to go. Sure. And TNT had basketball and wrestling. I was like, this is good. This, yeah. this can I can do this. This is right. Nice USA had the US Open and USA up all night. Obviously, so yeah, oh, yeah, things, yeah, all the yeah. things that you the like. Westminster well, yeah. Dog Show. The Westminster. Oh dog yeah, show. right. Absolutely. Like, yeah, yeah. who doesn't love, doesn't love a good dog show? Um, yes. Yeah, so each of the NBA teams was going to earn ninety-one million dollars from the TV contract over the uh, next uh, four years according to the Dallas Morning News. So, 
uh, and the salary cap was going to rise. So I guess we're not going to have any uh, labor issues because the money's going <laughs> to be flowing in. There's not going to be any problems. Yeah. Good to go. Yeah. I mean, I, I assume that all that's going to happen is the players, you know, might make a little bit more money and everybody should be happy by that. It's like, great. You know, the, 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 the labor is getting their end of the, the money and the owners, you know, should be more than happy because they're getting new deals and stuff. So this, this should be great. I, I think we, we, we're, we're, we're set for a very stable few years here in the NBA and I cannot wait personally. So, yes. So the uh, next we have another uh, notable point in the history of Tim Duncan. Uh, yeah, so this is his first matchup with uh, Shaquille O'Neal and the Los Angeles Lakers. So this happens November 13th, 1997. Uh, Lakers pull out the win, uh, nine points in overtime. So Sacramento, I mean, or uh, Sacramento, uh, San Antonio, they're bringing these big, I mean, these are pretty good teams now. They're taken to the limit. They're at absolute limit. I mean, they obviously go double OT um, with the Bulls, and they go OT with the Lakers. This is a more reasonable score, 109-100. Uh, first NBA game, of course, as I mentioned, between Shaq and Tim Duncan. Shaq had 34 points, 15 rebounds, and four blocks. And then Tim Duncan afforded himself pretty well, 19 points, 13 rebounds, four assists, and three blocks. Uh, at this point, two very good teams as well. The LA Lakers, they're uh, 6-0, and and we'll, we'll get to them here in a little bit because they had a nice run to start this uh, season. And then the uh, San Antonio Spurs, they're 6-2, and so they've obviously much improved in, uh, than they were the year prior when obviously David Robinson was out and they were able to get the number one pick in Duncan. Um, but this famous as well, there's a, a, a clip, and you can find it on YouTube in, in various places, of Shaq just absolutely destroying David Robinson. And, and Shaq, I mean, this is like peak, like, Lakers, Shaq just dunking on everybody. He had still, like, he had still retained a lot of that athleticism. That would sort of get lost a little bit in the next, uh, you know, few years, especially when they went and started winning a lot of their t- titles. He became a little bit more of a stationary type player. But now this is still the peak of, like, Shaq just being able to absolutely just, you know, beat you with speed and power and, and just crazy enough. But uh, a little bit about uh, the Spurs' first month uh, of Duncan. So, you know, the first, you know, we're talking November 97 here. A monthly averages for Duncan, 15.2 points per game, 11.1 rebounds per game. Uh, as mentioned, uh, he had the, the battles versus Jordan and the battles versus Shaq and, and afforded themselves pretty well. The Spurs, you know, they obviously, they, I mentioned they were 6-2 and two, uh, by the 13th. They, they had fallen off a little bit at the end of the month and they finished November 9-7, uh, and seven, but you had seen the building blocks of kind of what was coming together and you, you understood that this Duncan thing was going to work and it, it was going to be okay. Like, he was going to fit in well with Robinson. He was going to coexist with Robinson uh, pretty well. Obviously, they still had to kind of coalesce a little bit but at least you know that this number one overall pick we have is not a complete bust and this guy can't play at the NBA level so uh, pretty cool to see and he would just continue to get better as the year went on uh, as well and we'll obviously follow that uh, in future shows but yeah pretty uh, pretty fun first month for the Spurs and uh, Tim Duncan yeah there's a good um, essay article by Phil Taylor uh, looking at Duncan and Robinson and one thing that noted uh, to me is it's a quote from Robinson saying I tend to want everything right now I want to be completely over my back problems right now. I want to win and accomplish everything right away. Tim brings that calm perspective to things. Watching him reminds me that there's a lot to be said for patience, for not expecting so much of yourself so quickly. You don't often say this about a rookie, but he's got a lot of wisdom. That's talked about how um, Charles Oakley gave him a, a hard foul, foul uh, the first time they played the Knicks in preseason, and then, like, you know, Duncan was basically unflappable. He just did his his did what he was doing despite, you know, having to deal with the uh, physicality of that, which they knew that, you know, he would be totally fine uh, after that. And um, they also, there's a quote about uh, Duncan uh, that he collects uh, switchblades and samurai swords. And he, his quote is, I just like sharp things. So good old Tim Duncan. <laughs> and that's carried over. That like, hasn't gone away either. That's the best part. Is that, no. Like he's still is an aficionado for like, how his house has to just be filled. Like, does he sell these back or does he just have like continuing, uh, assembly of like swords. I I don't know. Tim Duncan's a. I love Tim Duncan. <laughs> I miss yeah. him so much. I miss Tim Duncan <laughs> so much. 
Um, and so uh, the NBA has its eighth uh, quadruple overtime game on November 14th. Uh, Phoenix beat Portland 140 to 139. Uh, this is a pretty enjoyable one. There's a great, uh, at the end of the fourth, Rashid Wallace has an inbound uh, baseball pass to Arvidas Sabonis, who hits a three-pointer with 2.7 seconds left. It's just a, a really tremendous turnaround shot. Uh, he definitely might have had his foot on the line, but, you know, we're not going to count it. And uh, and there's a, some exciting stuff at the end of each overtime. A hot Rod Williams blocked an Isaiah Ryder baseline jumper and Brian Gant- Brandt's putback was too long at the end of the first overtime. At the end of the second one, uh, Rex Chapman made a uh, 30 foot footer with 40 sec- with four seconds left to tie it. And at the end of the uh, third overtime, uh, Chapman missed a, a baseline runner's time ran out. So obviously they all you know went down as you're going to go to your all went down to the uh, last shot. That the fourth overtime, everyone's pretty exhausted. The uh, Blazers had lost Wallace and Kenny Anderson to fouls, and uh, Danny Manning managed to score six of his 35 points, and uh, Chapman sealed it with a couple of free throws. So, uh, yeah, both these teams are pretty interesting. Uh, the Blazers were, you know, were busting out uh, Kevin Johnson, Jason Kidd backcourts, and Steve Nash was their backup. Uh, you know, Nash wasn't really, you know, obviously wasn't that good yet, but, um, you know, having three Hall of Fame, or KJ is not in the Hall of Fame, but, but it probably should be given on at least his playing career. Um, uh, you know, having that that kind of talent on that team, there's just like a lot of you know fun weirdness to both these teams. So they'll, they'll be interesting to follow. They, they, I think we're gonna might be doing some league pass rankings of teams, uh, maybe, maybe in our next show or, or ne- one of our next couple shows. And I, I think the Blazers and the Suns are gonna be up there pretty high for me. Yeah, the the, the Suns I remember just being a super fun team, and they, they've been a fun team for a few years uh, after this too. I know, um, I believe it was either the first year or the second year after they had. You know, shorten the three point line. They were a team that just like chucked threes like crazy. They just they just went absolutely nuts with three pointers. And then this year, like you're saying, they're still just a, a really fun roster with like three you know potential or Hall of Fame level players uh, at point guard. And then a lot of other you know good stuff too. I mean, you have Danny Ainge as your coach, which is always uh, very strange as well. And they played with a pretty fun pace as well. And just a, a fun team overall. I mean, a lot of really cool names in there that that we sort of mentioned. You got guys like a Danny Manning. I know uh, Antonio McDice. I believe this, this is his lone year with the Suns as well. Right? Yes, he, it he, was okay. Right, so yeah. so he's there as well. I mean, it's a really good team on paper. You got Cliff Robinson's there too. I know Cedric uh, uh, Sabalas. I think is, is there. Or he would come later. Uh, but yeah, it was really just an interesting team and an interesting kind of melding pot of, of different players uh, in a really fun Western Conference as well. And I'm sure we'll talk a lot about that during our League Pass ranking ones that you said we'll we'll potentially do here because the, the West has a lot of really fun teams. A lot of teams that are just kind of trying to figure out their way, trying to figure out what's going on a little bit. I mean, obviously you have your Eastern powerhouses. We have the Bulls who who had won the, the prior few years, and then you have the West. Kind of a lot of teams just trying out a bunch of stuff to see uh, who could sort of rise above the muck or who could you know compete with the uh, uh, the Jazz and the Sonics and kind of the upper echelon uh, of the West. But, yeah, a lot of really fun teams here, and this is probably uh, one of the most fun teams. And if you look at their stats, too, I'm, I'm, I just fired it up here. Uh, nobody scores over uh, f- 16 points per game. So you got Rex Chapman at, at 15.9, uh, Antonio McDice at 15.1, Cliff Robinson at 14.2, uh, Danny Manning at 13.5, and then Jason Kidd at 11.6. So you just have the ball just getting passed around to a lot of different guys. I mean, there's not one star, but a lot of guys contributing here. So it's it's really interesting team. And you almost had a, a, a sixth guy with averaging 10 points a game with uh, Steve Nash. Uh, he was at 9.1 points per game at this point, too. So it's a really interesting uh, dichotomy there with this team. Yeah, and the Blazers, as we mentioned, they have um, you know they've, they've Sabonis, they've Rashid, which is already interesting team. Uh, they have uh, you have Brian uh, Brian Grant, they have Stacey Ogman, they have um, a very young Jermaine O'Neal. Uh, they're about to have a, a trade that's going to kind of shift their team, and, and they're going to get to Damon Stoudemire and a couple. You know, so they're they're kind of I guess the the proto jail Blazers, but um, you know 
kind of the the proto good jailblazers, the good trailblazers that became the jailblazers eventually. I'm not sure exactly when the jailblazers era started. That's something we'll yeah. I feel like yeah. I think like unofficially, I think it was like that 2001 2002 era. Like I, I think in the peak when they were still kind of competing with the Lakers, they weren't quite that yet. And then it's sort yeah. of later when once they yeah. kind of fell out of favor I, and fell out of the you know the the upper echelon of the West. That's when it kind of started to you know they started yeah. to look at them as even though they had kind of a lot of those same guys. Yeah, they, exactly. They were yeah, not, yeah, they were not seen that negatively. Obviously, you know, and they added some of that. I guess they added some more of those uh, of the guys who are kind of the troublemakers as well. But anyway, we'll blame um, Bonzi Wells. It's all Bonzi Wells' fault. So. Oh yeah, well, yeah, Bonzi Wells. Uh, fairly good guy to play. Um, so um, interesting trend in the NBA was uh, some teams that were fined and players that were fined for too long shorts. They were uh, the first time was the, the Timberwolves with uh, Kevin Garnett, Chris Carr, Stefan Marbury, Clifford Rozier, and Doug West uh, were all fined uh, 2500 each for wearing their show shorts too long. There was a memo sent to each team during the summer stating they would enforce the dress code that requires the shorts to be no longer than one inch above the knee, which, which seems kind of short. I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, like I feel like that's yeah, I feel like they definitely, kind of a lot of me. yeah, yeah, that definitely wasn't enforced like <laughs> in future years because I don't think you know I I, I don't know maybe Allen Iverson but I could have swore that Allen Iverson wore him a little bit uh, below the the knees but yeah that is a little uh, that, that seems odd and it would uh, foretold what was going to come soon which is just the ungodly I mean it, it's funny now watching you know early two thousands NBA and you're just like my God those shorts are so long the jerseys are so big like things are just kind of crazy but that, that was the fashion at that time but we can sort of see it kind of poking its head out a little bit here and it would become obviously a huge deal uh, in, in future years. Yeah, and Rasheed Wallace and Calvin Cato were fined a few days later for the uh, for the Blazers. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, they, they were uh, uh, cracking down on the shorts. You can't have those long shorts. Uh, who, who knows what you know? You, you definitely need to keep those uh, you know those uniforms professional. Obviously, professional. Uh, that's important. You know, you want to have guys who you know who are basically playing in their underwear to look professional, right? Obviously, <laughs> exactly. yeah, important. So. So um, something I'd forgotten about, but is interesting, is uh, issues with Isaiah Thomas and the Raptors. So 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 Isaiah basically out of playing, he got involved in ownership with the Raptors as they were an expansion team. It was their GM and VP. I, I'd almost completely forgotten about uh, that he was in that role, but he had some interesting ideas. He he branded the layups as warm ups concept outdated. Uh, he wanted to keep it, some other pregame activities more in keeping with his uh, fast break philosophy. Uh, which raised some eyebrows there in the uh, NBA. Although Jerry Sloan was like, oh, it's actually an interesting idea. Um, I, I didn't actually get specifically uh, what he was interested in, in seeing, and given how much longer he lasted, it didn't really matter. Uh, he also talked about having assistant coaches script the Raptors' first 30 plays on offense and defense, which seems slightly impractical to me. But, eh, <laughs> right, you know. But, hey, good, do your thing. Yeah, especially whatever. the defense, especially scripting defensive plays. Like, I, I think right. That, that, yeah, that, offensive, okay, uh, yeah, I, I can see where you're 30's a lot, bit, though. Like, 30 30 plays, a lot, yes. is, 30's is a lot of play. Like, I right. get, like, I, I fully get if you want to script the first, you know, three or four or whatever. You know, I, I sure. play for coaches that were always like, hey, you know, the first quarter we're going to run, you know, the first five things we're going to run, you know, these plays or whatever. And if they don't work, we'll figure out what works and, and what doesn't 30 sure. plays is a lot yeah, of plays Isaiah. Like, yeah that is a lot yeah like so. you might not run 30 plays the entire game so i don't know that you no. want to just necessarily script it exactly like that yeah that's well, isaiah yeah. but all is well though he's he's 
He's a company man through and through, right? Yes. So, so, Loves well, his well soon, yes. Right after that, there are some rumors that he's planning oh. to leave the Raptors and join uh, NBC. Uh, <laughs> that uh, was having some issues with the uh, team owner Alan Slate, and uh, uh, some whispers came out. There was sort of the d- denials from NBC, and Isaiah was cagey about it, and uh, there were some questions about whether Toronto would actually was willing to like spend money on its players. You know, there was uh, some Damon Stoudemire extension was going to be coming up. He, he was Touted rookie at the time, there were some free agents who were coming out, um, and uh, Slate said, "You know, we have a contingency plan in place." And he reacted strongly to suggestions that he had vetoed trades or signings due to a lack of funds. His quote was, "Those out, those acquisitions outrage me." And um, then eventually, a press conference was held that Isaiah was going to leave the uh, Raptors, and um, he uh, and the. The uh, slate was very mad about kind of the whole situation. He mm-hmm. felt like uh, he called uh, Isaiah a quitter and uh, said that uh, uh, to leave at one in, in ten or whatever we are now, he would have qu- quitter branded on his forehead. So, uh, and then Isaiah left Toronto with a sharp warning for Raptors management, saying the team should make peace with the Maple Leaves or Rick's extinction. One significant issue was that there was a there, there were some arena issues uh, going on there. They were playing in the Sky Dome at the time, mm-hmm. and that was obviously not the best venue for basketball. And they're trying to kind of figure out the uh, the financing for the Air Canada Center and. Um, Eventually, uh, SI had some notes on Thomas leaving and kind of the turmoil that was going on there. Both uh, Damon Stoudemire and Marcus Camby were their two young stars, were thinking about requesting trades. Uh, Walt Williams and Doug Christie had signed extensions there, and they both weren't now happy there. I mean, Isaiah was obviously popular with the players. You know, the one guy who recently been a player and, you know, one guy who uh, obviously they you know, felt they could trust. Um and um and yeah so and, and the alan slate said he felt like differently that um you know he, he again said there was not one occasion when isaiah came to me asking about a deal and i told him no because of the money um and then eventually uh it took a little while but isaiah eventually did reach that deal with uh, nbc to be one of the lead um uh, announcers uh, we got uh, we'll get some details on that in a little bit we got a few other things to get to uh first but yes eventually he did actually make his way to nbc yeah so like i said i'd forgotten all about that situation that was uh that was interesting to me yeah and there was a fun little uh anecdote there and you can look it up as well during the time where, where there were rumors that he was trying to buy the franchise or buy a stake in the franchise or buy some other minority but obviously he did not have enough money to really do that and try to get some investors to do it so that could be a, an issue as well as that he was maybe was trying to do sort of a, a coup and, and and you know sort of buy the team up from under uh slate but yeah there's a lot of weird issues at the time there. We would see uh, Isaiah did mention at the time too in different quotes that you know that was one of his goals is to you know own a franchise and own you, you know something like that. And and he'd eventually go on to own the CBA, the entire league. And uh, that uh, we'll, we'll get to that. But uh, <laughs> went about as well uh, as this Raptors tenure here. My 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 low key favorite part of this entire story though is that you mentioned Slate the part where he said the quitter uh, branded on his forehead. The exact quote is from the Globe and Mail uh, in November 21st says uh, it's a quitter that leaves now. A winner wouldn't walk away with the thing the way things are going now. To leave at one or ten or whatever we are now, he would have quitter branded on his forehead. I love the whatever we are now. Like he's like one or one to ten and whatever. We're I, I don't know yeah. what our record is, but we suck. Like all right, look, like it's I don't know good. what it is exactly, but it sucks. And he's leaving now. What a quitter! Like I just like that the owner is you know standing in front of people posturing. He's like I I don't know. We're just terrible. I, like I don't know what record it is, but we're just bad. So don't leave now. But yeah, you know, it's uh, that's but. 
Yeah, that I, I do. I do remember. That. I mean, as far as like Isaiah Thomas things go, the Raptors thing wasn't. I mean, he got Damon Stoudemire. They drafted Marcus Camby. Uh, I know they drafted uh, Tracy McGrady as well. So I mean, all right. things told, yeah. it, it's of all you know Isaiah things uh, of all uh, the cash piece that he's had. It's not, not the worst. <laughs> you know, we're sure. we're gonna talk yeah. about it throughout the years. Like this, uh, this might be the high point. Yeah. NBC yeah. was. I don't know. I didn't really like and CBA and the Knicks and. Right. You know, yeah. This might be the high point for Isaiah, but that's all right. Well, well, obviously, the, the championship is probably the high point, but the high well, I, yeah, point for, as for player, Isaiah. Yes. I would say the championships, yes. <laughs> his playing career is the highlight of, yes, of his uh, life. That was what he was best at. Um, so, uh, November 20th, uh, AC Green is with the Mavericks. That's an NBA record with his 907th consecutive game against a Golden State. He broke Randy Smith's record, uh, who bro- who played 906 games from 72 to 83. Cal Ripken attended, of course, the, uh, NB- or the MLB Ironman uh, for AC Green. Now, um, Curtis Harris always mentions a lot that AC Green kind of padded his record by playing very low minutes in certain situations where Randy Smith actually like, you know, played, you know, Mm -hmm. basically, you know, full games for, was a starter, you know, was a, did not do that. So uh, he feels that uh, AC's record is uh, tainted. uh, Whereas uh, Randy's is, you know, unofficially the, uh, the true record. So for, I mean, Curtis takes a pretty strong stand on that. So I'm not willing, I'm not going against that, you know? No, no, I mean, I'd never argue with Curtis on no, <laughs> something like that. No. When, when he's decided that's the that's the thing, and that, I mean, you got to trust him. He's, I, you know, he's done his research, and you know, this. he's well, well, you know, he, he's any argument that he has is very well backed. So you don't want to really argue with it too much. So yeah, I'll, not, I'll, not, I'll, not too much. All right, we'll allow that as well. So. All right, fair enough. Um, the uh, Isaiah Ryder was was a fine ten thousand suspended for three games for spitting at a fan during a, <laughs> a game against the Pistons. Uh, Michael Jordan had probably his best uh, game of the season so far with uh, forty nine points on eighteen of thirty eight shooting, uh, five rebounds, five assists in fifty two minutes in a uh, overtime game. It was a, it was a win. And uh, after the eleven and zero start, uh, Shaquille O'Neal. Um, was out for uh, seven to ten days with a uh, abdominal strain. I think Kobe missed some time uh, during, uh, missed that time some time you know during there as well. Um, Eddie Jones kind of helped carry them uh, during that, which I think yeah. there's an article who, who describing that a little bit. But yeah, it was a Shaq uh, uh, played very well, but they played very well without Shaq as well. Yeah, no, and the team, uh, actually, I mean, you're, you're starting to see it come together. I mean, obviously, they become, uh, you know, a, a dynasty in, in, in later years. But uh, you can see the first part of this year where they start 11-0. Shaq was just on fire. He averaged uh, 24.5 points per game, uh, 11.6 rebounds per game, shot 60% from the field. Uh, more than that, though, it, it, it's it's what the Lakers were doing. They were dominating teams. They won by 35, 22, 26, and 25 in that first month. So uh, they were pretty – I mean, you could start seeing the building blocks there. You know, obviously, it would take a few years to kind of – come together completely but you can see that that when all things are going and, and, and they're firing on all cylinders there's a really powerful you know new powerhouse in the west so uh, i was interested to see it kind of play out here except for you know the injuries kind of derailed it a little bit uh, at this point but uh we'll talk more about this team in, in, in future uh, episodes for sure later on in in uh, november um a couple notable things. Uh, Akeem Olajuwon uh, underwent uh, arthroscopic surgery in his left knee to remove damaged tissue, expected to be out uh, 8 to 10 weeks. And this was definitely kind of a noticeable point of decline in Olajuwon's career. I mean, he was uh, he was 35 this season, only ends up playing 47 games during the uh, season. And, and he has some really strong stat lines here and there um, during this time, but he also has, like, some really, like um, – super down games as well so it's it, it, which you know maybe obviously the injury may have had a significant uh, portion or a you know had a significant role in that um 
so it's uh, you kind of looking like it's you know obviously the Rockets are built on um, Barkley and Drexler and Hakeem who are all you know in in their mid to late thirties uh, going mm-hmm. on there and it, it, the time definitely seems to be running out on them as you know obviously Utah has, has passed them despite them being an older team and you know even if they had been able to get past Utah there's always the Bulls uh, even with the struggles that we've you know kind of discussed as far as uh, they go yeah and, and for Hakeem as well I mean you look at this I mean this is your this year is you, know, you made twelve All Star games prior to this and I think he made twelve out of the last thirteen years he had been an All Star. Uh, and this year he was not an all-star, um, as we'd see later in the year. And then that would kind of end his, his all-star streak. And really, effectively, his career was you know very close to being over in just another few years. So, yeah, you can see uh, it definitely decline happening. Like you're saying, the stat lines, if you look at a few games, there are a few games where he just below, you know, really does well. But you can tell what the knee is bothering him, that when it's healthy, he's he's the Hakeem of old. But when it's not healthy and when it's hurting or whatever, he is, he is definitely a shell of his former self. So we'll start to see that play out a little bit more here. But, uh, yeah, this is kind of the, the really effectively the beginning of the end for, for Hakeem, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, which is obviously uh, sad. Um, yeah, uh, going back to the Bulls a little bit, uh, they um, there is uh, talking a little bit about their uh, struggles. They they started off, um, you know, around five hundred. Uh, they, they they did kind of pull together once Jordan had uh, went on some scoring binges. In fact, he was named Player of the Week, uh, averaging uh, thirty seven point three points, uh, four point seven rebounds, and four point three assists. And, um, you know, basically everyone, uh, you know, there, it was kind of a, a combination of, you know, age. They had to go to uh, Paris to play in a preseason uh, championship tournament. Um, and there was, uh, you know, obviously the issues that we've talked about with uh, Phil Jackson in the front office. And there's nine free agents there. And, uh, you know, one of the veterans is quoted as saying, it's hard to get too excited over a season. You know, will end with your head getting chopped off. And uh, Jordan, uh his quote was uh, dismissing everything, including Pippen's injury. And he said, what we need is to step up and take a little responsibility for um, each other. And, um, and there's some more on Rodman where he basically, uh, you know, um, was uh, a little bit of a malcontent there. And he arrived at the United Center 15 minutes before a tip off against Charlotte, blaming Chicago's traffic for his tardiness. So, uh, I, you know what? <laughs> I'm with Dennis on that one. I've, yeah, I've arrived to many Bulls games a few minutes before they started to. So. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm with Rodman on there. 290 is, is pretty terrible, so I get it by that. But uh, yeah, no, a lot of issues here with with Rodman. At one point, he he, had, he was always hinting at retirement. You'll read a lot of these quotes where he's just like, "I should retire, I should retire." And at one point, it got to where Jordan was just like, "Well, let's just do it," because you know you're not you're not doing much here. You're not really helping us at all. He seemed really lifeless. Just was not the Dennis Rodman that everybody knew he was. Uh, so it, it would be, I don't know. It's yeah. not looking good here for these Bulls. I don't know. Not looking and, good. And yeah, the, maybe, maybe they won't win it. Yeah, and they're playing all right basketball at this point. Like they're they're not a. The problem is always that when you win like 72 and then 69 games or whatever that like a pace of like 52 wins is not enough and that's that's what they're at right now and everyone's wondering okay what's going to happen and knowing that this is it too and that was kind of the always the pressure is like okay we know this is the final season of all this and if they don't win it this year it's going to be ultimately so disappointing so there's always that weird pressure and there's always weirdness going on and you can read it in the quotes you read it in the articles as well that like everyone despite the fact that they're playing good they're not playing well enough like they want they want this team to like moonwalk into the finals and 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 you know, knock door, doors down and be so obviously the, the the NBA champions, and they're, they're just like okay right now. They're just good at this point. That's not you know people want better than that, especially when they know this is it. This is like as as the one player said, where their heads all are getting chopped off after this. They want it to be just this giant moment where they they go out in a, a blaze of glory. But no, we'll see. I, it's uh, so far it's just a blaze. So we'll find out. And um, 
So as we talked about before, Isaiah Thomas was named to uh, NBC as a commentator. Bob Costas actually replaced Marv Albert as the lead announcer. Uh, Marv Albert had been involved in a it was a sexual assault trial where he eventually pleaded guilty to a battery and was fired by NBC. Uh, there was a lot of salacious stuff going on there about uh, that, that was kind of a huge scandal. This sort of predates our 20 years ago uh, show that that wrapped up earlier in 97. But, uh, you know, um, and um they were going to call the uh, first their first game on Christmas Day between the Heat and the uh, Bulls. Um, meanwhile, um, the uh, Wizards played their final game in uh, U.S. Airways Arena in Landover, Maryland after 24 seasons, losing to the Bulls. And uh, Charles Barkley had a, a game for the ages on uh, November 29th, uh, 43 points on 15 of 20 shooting, uh, 12 of 14 free throws, 15 rebounds, 4 steals, and uh, 6 turnovers. And in fact, it was the last 40-point uh, game of uh, his career. So fun times there yeah good performance by that but uh yeah a lot of a great number there i mean that 15 to 20 field goal that's <laughs> all 14 yeah. that's it's not bad throwing 15 huh. rebounds there too he's a lot of he's all over the place there that, that's pretty nice but uh yeah. yeah unfortunately that would be as you said the last 40 point game of, of barkley's career but uh yes yeah, so um one. eddie jones named november player of the month with a 21.3 points per game 3.6 rebounds 3.7 assists there's an si article looking at his great start he'd been involved in a lot of trade rumors including some involving uh scotty pippen in fact the uh the the uh, Bulls had sent some scouts to uh, two of his chief scouts to a um, Lakers uh, games where uh, with you know, looking at Kobe and uh, Eddie Jones is possibly trading for um, Scottie Pippen. That seemed unlikely, even though um, obviously Jerry West was definitely not going to trade Kobe. There was some talk about Eddie Jones, but he played so well that that was probably not going to happen. Uh, he said that the trade rumor stung him um, and, um, he uh, he he said uh, it makes you think. Can I trust what I've been told? Maybe the Lakers really don't want me. It's something you can't get out of your mind, especially when you're away from the coat. You tell yourself to just play because trades are something you can't control. But it's not easy. Jerry West had assured him, though he would not be uh, traded. Um, and uh, I I know almost nothing about Eddie Jones' personality, and he's like a very quiet guy. But a couple interesting things where um, he uh, changes his home phone number so often that even his teammates sometimes have a hard time getting in touch with him. Uh, and then when he does get media requests, including uh, some recent invitations to appear on a couple late night talk shows, he has a standard approach. He, I say, yeah, I let you do that sometime and then hope they forget about it or find, some, <laughs> or find somebody else before I actually have to do it. And uh, Bill Berthka, the Lakers assistant coach, said he considered Jones's defensive skills to be equal to those of uh, Michael Cooper, of course, who had all those defensive player uh, of the year awards in the uh, 80s during the Showtime era. So that's a pretty heavy uh, company there. Hey, Jones is the definitely guy I'm in, it, kind of lost to history kind of guy because yeah. he wasn't part of the you know lakers teams that were really really successful obviously the championship teams and he um you know was good for a while but i think he kind of faded you know uh early in his 30s but definitely was an excellent player and kind of fun to watch yeah one of these many guys and we'll talk about a, a handful of these guys in this era as well that when you look at you know the post jordan nba not a guy that was relied upon or, or thought of, of being like the next star but like a next sort of you know semi-star sub-star one of those guys that, that you know teams could build around and, and, and teams could at least know have employed as you know their their number one or number two option or whatever and he kind of fell off like there's a lot of guys too like a glenn i feel like him and glenn rice are, are very similar in that respect where it's like another guy that's like all right here we go you know vin baker's another there was just a lot of these guys who were just you know ready to that take that next step and then 
then whenever the time came, it just never really quite happened for a number of different reasons, whether it being traded too many times or injuries or whatever. It just kind of seemed to happen to a lot of these guys around this time. But A. Jones is a guy who, yeah, who played really well, and you look back at his numbers, and you're like, oh, this is a really good player. But it just kind of it just didn't work out for him, you, obviously, in L.A., and then obviously bounced around to a bunch of other places uh, after that. But, yeah, he is a little bit lost to history uh, there. And I do like the idea that yet another person has been rumored to be traded for Scotty Pippen. I think every every show that we do should be like, okay, who's like who's Scotty Pippen getting traded for today? Like, we have a great quote that's going to come up in a few episodes where like one of the a, a rival GM is just like, oh, really? Another Scotty Pippen trade rumor? Like, I don't care anymore. Like, I, everybody at some point in the league is being traded for Scotty Pippen during you know the first few months of 1997. So, so looking at the standings at the end of November, uh, the Hawks are atop the East at 14 and two. There are a bunch of teams at uh, 10 and five. The Bulls are actually in ninth place in the East at nine and seven. Um, so uh, the Pacers are right behind them at eight and six, who are sort of expected to st- start out strong. Uh, I think we're going to look more to them and, and Larry Bird uh, next month and see see how they're doing uh, out west. The Lakers are 13 and two. The Sonics 13 and three. Uh, the Suns, Blazers, and Jazz all started uh, pretty strongly as well. Uh, the the teams at the very bottom, the Raptors are one and 15. The uh, Nuggets are one and 12. The uh, Warriors are one and 13, and the Clippers are two and uh, 14. So yeah, and another interesting thing as we'll talk about throughout the season is there is a lot. There are a, a lot of really terrible teams this season. There's a, there's a lot bigger disparity between records um, than there generally is in most seasons. And um, you know we're kind of coming right off expansion. You know I don't really have great reasons for it happening other than just you know kind of the randomly the way that things happen. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty brutal here. I mean, you have a number of teams we're talking about here. I mean, the Golden State Warriors are one in thirteen. The Toronto Raptors are one in fifteen. The Denver Nuggets are one in twelve. Uh, Los Angeles Clippers two and fourteen. Dallas Mavericks four and eleven. Sacramento Kings five and eleven. Like it, it's it's pretty bad <laughs> both sides yeah. here. Uh, you you of course have the, the two expansion franchises are still having a lot of issues. Vancouver, you know, at seven and, and eleven, not too bad. Toronto obviously having a ton of issues which is actually pretty ironic given you know where they would were uh, just a few years after this. But uh, yeah, not really looking good for anybody. Obviously, the East is. You know, you have a few powerhouse teams. Uh, really, just I mean, Atlanta is really set, kind of like setting the stage in the East, which is is kind of fun in retrospect to think about. But uh, the West, few teams here, as we mentioned, you know, obviously you have the Lakers who, who, who quickly jump out, and then you have the Suns uh, and Sonics, and then really to a lesser extent the Blazers too. But what's interesting is is last year's uh, finals matchup: uh, the Bulls at nine and seven, and the Jazz at nine and six. So neither team really you know blowing the doors off the year. I mean, we, we, you know, obviously we know what's what what's to come. But yeah, at this point, like I don't know that you would reasonably assume all these guys are definitely going to come back. And obviously, you don't want to overreact for one month but neither team really looks like they're firing on all cylinders quite yet so uh yeah i'm really excited about that hawks lakers finals that we have coming up oh yeah hawks <laughs> who could forget be great yeah <laughs> who, who could forget yeah um and speaking of the hawks uh, lenny wilkins was named coach of the month and uh, there was a, another si feature on the hawks uh, surge uh they were actually drawing some record crowds because they were in the georgia dome for uh some of their games some of their weekday games uh they were playing at uh, Georgia Tech Stadium, the Alexander Memorial Coliseum, uh, while um, uh, while the Georgia Dome was being used for college football, uh, and uh, and Matumbo was really was playing exceptionally well, sixteen point two points, twelve point four rebounds, and four point one blocks, eighty percent of his free throws. And Steve Smith's uh, funny quote: uh, uh, "We're all kidding the campaign now. Last year he won the Defensive Player of the Year award. Now, so now he must be trying to win the Offensive Player of the Year award." So, <laughs> uh, but he was performing well. You know, more than just a defensive specialist. Obviously, I mean, he, you know, obviously he was better. You know, better known for that, and it wasn't you know Shaq on offense, but he was still you know he was obviously effective. Um, 
uh, so yeah, that was uh, that, that's pretty much the uh, the main stuff for uh, uh, for November 9th, ninety seven. And we're gonna get into uh, some interesting things uh, around the uh, corner, uh, peeking ahead December first. Oh, oh, okay. Um, but Charles Sprewell uh, does some interesting things in uh, <laughs> December uh, 1997. So my coach get very close. Bit. They uh, him and PJ close. Yeah, they do. Uh, don't or they see eye to eye. Very close eye yes. to eye. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. So. Very intimate moment between the two of them. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, I'm sure that's gonna be, you know, be very lovely for us all to explore. So I think we're gonna get into Rick Pitino and the Celtics a little bit more uh, next month. Uh, some changes gonna happen in uh, Dallas. Uh, uh, a lot of interesting things. I think there there's some some trades coming up pretty soon. I'm not sure if it's December or if it's uh, or if it's January, but the, there's some there's some uh, big trades coming up as well. So so lots of fun things to uh, discuss. So uh, hopefully you are following us on Twitter, both at Over and Back NBA and at uh, NBA Twenty Years Ago, uh, where we uh, document a lot of the stuff that we talked about in, in some detail. Obviously, getting into more detail here. Um, Re- recapping some of the uh, important games and uh, just keeping you updated with everything that's happening uh, 20 years ago. You can also find us on uh, on Facebook at Over and Back NBA. We're on uh, iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on TuneIn. We're on Google Play. Are we on anything else, Rich? We're I on, think that's like, it. Now. Yeah, we uh, okay. maybe soon Spotify as well. But yeah, for right now, if there is, if there is, if you use some podcast app or whatever, and you can't find us, just let us know. Just let us know at Over and Back NBA. I uh, will make sure that we get on there as well. I think we're I think we covered just about all the bases. We're working on spotify but yeah if there's anyone that we're not on and you're like hey i, I use this app and you're not let us know and yeah. we'll, we'll do what we can to get ourselves on there we're on spreaker as well so yes that's a new yes, for us. Yes. spreaker spreaker yes so i forgot about spreaker so i, I just uh found there you can't forget about spreaker obviously uh thanks everyone for checking us out we're back again soon